0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, we're joined by Patrick McCartney, the founder and CEO of Digifly. Patrick, you're very welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much for having me, Ray. Pleasure to be here. Chuffed,
0: chuffed to have you. We we're talking beforehand, Still Oregon is where your base is at the moment. Um, for that's an international correct, yeah. audience, that's yeah, Dublin and Ireland. Um, did you grow up there?
1: No, I didn't. I uh, I was born in Cork. Um, okay. but uh, my parents actually moved up to Dublin when I was one, so I uh, I learned to crawl and drill in Cork, and then the rest was in Dublin. Uh, yeah, we moved up to Dublin when I was. Uh, yeah just between one and two I think and uh, I was in Dublin until I was until uh, I left school ended up going down to Limerick then for into UL uh, to study there and then moved around a bit I was in the UK for a while and, and, and up in Belfast and uh, and then came back to, to Dublin to, to finally properly settle in Dublin probably about six years ago
0: Nice so when you go to Co-Park if you're into herding or football do you wear a blue jersey or a red jersey?
1: It'll be a blue jersey
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I would
1: cons- even though I was born in Cork, and sorry, everybody from Cork, uh, I would consider myself a Dublin man, yeah.
0: You spent most of your formative years in uh, in Dublin, so understandable. Yeah. Um, so, talk to me before you moved to UL, uh, you spent uh, more than a decade in Dublin growing up. What was that like? Have you got any standout memories? Because that's leading to a second question I have, is the reason I'm asking that. Yeah, no, it was, it
1: was a kind of a. a, a Standard upbringing, if there's a, such a thing. But uh, yeah, no, love my years in Dublin. Um, we used to go down to Cork for summer holidays, uh, actually. But uh, so I used to love my time down there as well. But um, but yeah, just uh, usual upbringing and going into the primary school, secondary school, and uh, and then uh, then as I said, it moved down to Limerick. But um, no, yeah, no no real standout times. I, I did love the, the the summers that we spent down in Cork. Uh, you know, as a bit of a change. Um, but uh, but yeah, that was good fun. Enjoy enjoyed growing up in Dublin.
0: Nice. I'm, I'm on the border myself. We were speaking before I hit record. I'm, I'm in Rotote, but um, my girlfriend's from the Dublin mountains, so I spent a fair bit of time. I'm over there this evening. Um, the reason I asked where you grew up and what your life was like growing up was because usually someone can pinpoint one, maybe two, three people, a teacher, a friend, an acquaintance, a, a relative who had an impact or influence on who They've become today. Does anyone's name spring to mind when I ask you if you can think of anyone who had an influence on who you've turned out to be?
1: Well, I think I mean, for first and foremost, it would be very much be my parents. Um, You know, my um, my dad was a hard worker. He was very he was very into sports as well. He's uh, not so much these days. He's in his late 80s, but uh, doesn't play them as much. But certainly does watch them. Um, and uh, he would have been a yeah, yeah a, a big influence to me in in uh, growing up and and my mum as well. I mean, you know, she's a very caring individual and very intuitive. She always knew what I was uh, and still does to this day. Uh, knows what I'm thinking about before I'm thinking about it. Um, and um, and they were hugely supportive uh, in you know when I was growing up and uh, gave me a, a great life and a great growing up on a, a great foundation to to uh to continue into into adulthood yeah so you know in terms of i know that's probably a stereotype glancer you know the parents are the influencers mm. but um it would be very much the case in, in, in for me yeah what are your parents names patty and mary so yeah two you, typical you, Irish names i like it you wouldn't need to guess what country they're from um, <laughs> patty and mary mccarthy yeah 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 so patty from Offaly, mary from cork
0: Oh, so Paddy must be happy. Offaly recently won some GA match.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Delighted, yeah. He's, a, he's from Furban, a small town in, in, in Offaly, yeah.
0: Nice, very cool. Um, so moving on from your time at UL, you touched on it. You were president of the Students' Union there uh, yeah. 20 years ago. What was college like and what was it like being the president of the Students' Union? I don't know why I'm so difficult to saying that.
1: <laughs> it was great i mean college life itself i did it um i i, I did the, the kind of the sabbatical uh, students union year um mm. probably a little mm. bit different to the way most people do it some people slotted into in between third and fourth or second and yep. third and i did it at the very end i, I finished college and then did a year in in the students union the, the 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 academic years were fantastic i mean you know uh i think you know a lot, there's a lot of debate over how uh, much use colleges these days, you know, with degrees that are coming out. Or p- a lot of people are saying, you know, are, is it is it much use with the the whole changing landscape of of careers these days? Some, you know, by the time somebody started a a, a, a course, it's completely changed in four years time. Four years time in terms of what they can get for a job. But I think the whole experience of going to university from a social development aspect and uh, and that side of things is, you know, I I found really rewarding. Um, that's a complicated way of saying I was on the piss five nights a week, but um, I was too. Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> it was uh, yeah, great time at college, and then the kind of the students' union thing. I kind of fell into. You know, I got a little bit involved in some of the the, the ancillary students' union stuff in in in, in for, just really in fourth year, maybe second half of third year, um, and then you know somebody mentioned me. So, oh, why don't you consider going for you know going for for president? So, I did. And uh, stuck my name in the hat, and uh, for whatever reason, uh, won the election, and uh, and did a full sabbatical year of you know being president of the students' union, which again was was fantastic, hugely rewarding, great experience. Um, you know, coming you're you're thrown into uh, a road where you're you're representing a huge body of, of people yeah. you're suddenly in committee meetings with the highest level of the of the university authorities and you're you you're, you're looking at the the actual managing of the, the students union accounts which you know run into the millions and, and things when you're because they have bars and shop, and stores and everything so it, for the cv it was it was incredible i mean it was a great experience for me anyway regardless of what it did for my cv but and I I didn't go into it trying to enhance my CV. I just kind of I kind of fell into it and but very very glad I did because it was hugely rewarding and, and fantastic experience. Yeah.
0: Well, you might give someone who's listening to this who's still in university the kick up the ass to potentially go and put their name on a half because too late for me. I'm out of DIT probably eight <laughs> seven eight years. Um, I mentioned at the start of the podcast you're the. CEO and founder of DigiFly. However, what people might not know is that you're also a pilot. That's Uh, correct. Senior first officer with EasyJet for almost four years, and then over 15 and a half years with with British Airways. Uh, So a couple of questions on that. One, what was it like? uh, What was life like as a pilot? And then I've got a part two, but I'll let you answer
1: that first. Well life as a pilot, I'm still, still, still with British Airways. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, Mm. it's, it's, it's changed uh, depending on where I was in my career. I mean, the the first few years I was working for EasyJet and that's a very busy airline. Not that British Airways isn't at the moment, the last 18 months aside, which uh, I think most airlines have quieted down a little bit. But when I was in EasyJet, I was doing six flights a day um, on short haul. I was based out of Belfast and um, it was great fun. It was a great job to, to, great airline to have my first job in um and then i switched to british airways and switched from short haul to long haul so essentially then i was not flying every day because you're flying to a long haul destination outside of Mm -hmm. europe you're spending a day or two there and then you turn around and you come back so i'm only doing that maybe three or four times a month so it went from six flights a day to eight flights a month um which was a huge transition um for the for the for um you know it, it was moving from a smaller plane to a bigger plane fly more people flying to see far, far-flung destinations that you're, you're getting to see so it was it's it's been a fantastic career um and then kind of underneath that i i always had an, an interest in in kind of web design and web development um and it's probably i, I don't want to lead your questions but um so I'll, I'll hold it there but in terms of the flying yeah it's been it's it's been fantastic to 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 have that career and um, and have those opportunities.
0: There are some people who who are just pilots, and that's their full damn thing. You didn't think you were busy enough, and then you also do guest appearances on podcasts as well as own your own business. I do want
1: well. Like, so go on. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, 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 so I was, I was about to say, I, I, I did want to preempt your question, but um, so while I was being a, basically if we go back to step back to when I was in, in university and I did I did yep. engineering and, and one of the reasons I went to Limerick is I did aeronautical engineering and, and it, at the time, and it, it pretty much still is one of the only places in the country where you can do that course. So that's what brought me down to Limerick and I'm, I'm very glad it did. Um, mm-hmm. But at the time a, a buddy of mine was, was uh was doing computer science. And it was, this is back in 1995, when the internet had just really become a household thing. And and he taught me the basics of designing websites, which back then was, if, anybody, if anybody's in the web design industry, it was, it was purely HTML and tables. And only CSS didn't even exist. So they were really crude, pretty poor looking things, but um, people still wanted them and people wanted them built. So I managed to get a couple of jobs from the university uh, departments. And they paid me a few quid to, to build a couple of websites for them. and and um, I was fully going to do that when I finished engineering. I was going to. Well, I think I, I like this. I think I'm going to do web design. And then I actually got into flying. It was I got I, 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 another buddy of mine was was told me that Aer Lingus were going to be advertising to, for cadet pilots, and you know they pay for all the training. So I applied, got into that, managed to get the training all sorted from Aer Lingus. Now September 11th sought to change up in, in EasyJet. We lost our jobs with, with Aer Lingus. But um, all the while, I still had this kind of underlying thing of, you know, I, I do like the web design. I do like the web development. A few friends were asking for websites. And um, and when I was in EasyJet, it was, it, I couldn't really do it. I was doing six flights a day. It was, I was, it was a very busy flying wow. job. When I moved to British Airways, um, you know, to long haul, you're now flying somewhere. You can bring a laptop with you. You're 24, 48 hours in a hotel. <clears throat> you turn around, you come back. You're at home for more days off than you would have. I would have been an easy jet. So I'm like, well, I have all this free time. <clears throat> Why don't I try and pick up the web design and development and, and see what I what I can do? And um, my brother-in-law's a graphic designer, and he he had some contacts in the industry who 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 were looking for who had clients who wanted websites. So I was like, well, I'll try and i I can do websites for, for these people. And that's when I started a company. Um, and that's that was back in like 2007, and it was just a web design and web development company then. And um, uh, from there, it kind of progressed in it, but it, it never really, it was just me doing websites for a few clients who are still clients to this day. It's only about four, maybe four years ago or so that then I shifted into e-commerce Um with with Shopify, set up a couple of e-commerce stores myself, which did reasonably well, um, and then got out of that, actually sold one of them, and then rebranded the whole, I say agency because it was was just me, um, but I had it set up as a company, and I rebranded that into what's now DigiFly, and and decided to specifically help other clients with setting up e-commerce stores on Shopify because of the experience i gained in running my own Shopify stores and that's where it wow. is now and it's, it's actually really only grown significantly over the last eight probably two years uh, yeah two years helped hugely over the last 18 months with, you know obviously COVID has been a, a terrible thing for for a lot of people um, and, a, and a lot of industries but e-commerce has been one of the ones that has has actually grown significantly um, and so that um, qu- luckily enough you know ha- helped me grow this agency as well to where it is now.
0: You touched on Air Lingus. I know that um, my, my uncle is a captain for over 20 years with Air Lingus, and he flies long haul to the States. And he likes that lifestyle compared mm. to short haul. He did short haul for a while and much prefers being able to, you know, go be, being in America for, what, 24, 36, 48 hours, and then turning around and having that free time. Questions around e-commerce. You found a DigiFly at the beginning of 2019. You said you uh, mm. renamed it or restructured it to be DigiFly. For our listeners that don't know exactly what either Shopify e-commerce or Digifly is, can you answer those three questions? So that will help with the next segment of this podcast. Sure.
1: So I mean, a very basic level. I mean, e-commerce is you know online. Our retailers being able to put their products online so that they can sell them. I mean, I'm. I'm sure most people have interacted with an e-commerce store uh, in one level or another, be it on their desktop or their phone, um, uh, where they have purchased a product online. Shopify is simply just a platform that enables uh, retailers to put their products online. It's the likes of uh, WordPress or Wix or Squarespace, which I'm sure you know people have probably seen mm-hmm. ads for here and there. Shopify is just one that's specifically tailored towards e-commerce. You wouldn't be putting a blog Site on Shopify. It's really just for for physical products, um, and it's um, it's it's one of the fastest growing platforms now. They've got over a million uh, merchants on their platform. They're they're based in Canada, but they're they're growing hugely in the in the UK and Ireland. I think they're the fastest growing e-commerce platform here at the moment. And so we hung our hat, or I hung my hat on right. You know, I I, I could have done. Let's just do web design and development, or even just e-commerce, and we can build on all sorts of different platforms: WordPress, Magento, all these different ones. But I stuck with Shopify because of my experience with Shopify, and by doing that as well, I think it's 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 helped us as an agency because people are now people are retailers are becoming very aware of Shopify and they know that it's it's a great platform. So when they go looking for a Shopify agency, we're one of. from my research, less than five in the country who are wow. uh, dedicated Shopify um, agencies. So they, they, they come looking and they inerv- invariably end on our doorstep, yeah.
0: You mentioned that there's over a million uh, people in the market who have a Shopify store. Um, mm. Before you get anywhere to take action in your store, you've got to get their attention or their eyeballs on your, your store. Uh, 2019, you developed, and I'm reading from notes here, you developed your own Shopify store and took it from zero to over 1 million in revenue in under 10 months. Um, Inevitably, people are going to make mistakes or I'd like to position it as inevitably people are probably going to come to road bumps on their journey. Uh, Are there common ones that you consistently see people uh, make? And if so, what are they? Perhaps you could help them so that if future people come to them, they can drive over or around it rather than try to drive through it.
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I know it's, it's, it says on the website that we did set up a store and brought it to, to, to seven figures in, in 10 months, and that's correct. But what's actually not written there is that there was three failed stores before that. Um, and so through that process, I actually learned quite a bit. But um, there's a Probably a commonly held belief is that you know you have a product you can just set up a set up a website um, and start trying throwing money at Facebook or whatever and get people a, 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 to have a look at it and that's all you need to do yeah, and people start buying yeah. it. But there's so there's 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 a huge amount more to it. You very much need to understand your customer, and know who your customer is. You know we we, we do get we get some uh, people who inquire about saying you know, we need an online store, we need a retail store, we need a you know can you set us up a Shopify store? Here's we've got five products, please set it up. How long is it going to take and how much is it going to cost? Um, and we just go, okay, let's put the brakes on. Let's step back a little bit because we need to find out every single thing about your, com- your business, your product and who your ideal customer is before we can even consider building you a store. And a lot of people will just set up a store and go, okay, what now? Um, but it's by going through that process of, of really understanding your market, understanding your audience, um, positioning the product correctly and then figuring out how to build a store, how to build it around that model, um, and then putting a strategy in place for acquiring those customers, how to get them in the door, convert them when they're on your on your site, and then uh, retain them on the other end, bring them back in. Um, those, those are three vitally important components of, of an, uh, an e-commerce business, which, a lot of the time get overlooked. Um, a lot of the time it's just, you know, stick the products up, get traffic in, you know, pay for traffic to come onto your site and hopefully things will work out. Um, but unfortunately for a lot of businesses it doesn't. And uh, it requires a lot of thought process um, in place to to get all those components correct.
0: You mentioned that there's some people out there that will think the winning strategy is to put money behind Facebook ads with the objective to drive people towards your website and then people fill the cart and they buy. However, one thing that I found out from the blog on your site, which I'll link below, is that cart abandonment is is a big thing. In 2018, again, reading from my notes here, uh, UK online retail market vendors lost more than £18 billion. Uh, However, another statistic that sprung to my mind was 17% of uh, shoppers who abandon their carts never had any intention to buy. So... It's definitely a, 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 a an issue. How do you help people uh, reduce the number of people that number of uh, How do you help reduce the number of people that will leave their product in their cart? And is it true that some people leave a product in a cart because they have a fear that it might go out of stock?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of reasons. So for starters, that 17% you say never had a uh, never have an intention to buy something. There will be those window shoppers who will never really. You have serial cart abandoners um, Mm. who will just just add stuff to their cart. I mean, the 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 typical cart abandon rate is um, is about 60 to 70%, which is massive. So 60 to 70% of people who put stuff in their cart aren't going to complete the purchase uh, there and then. Now they might come back and do it, but there and then they're not going to. But um, so you got that seventy percent, or roughly speaking, who are never, never have an intention of buying anything. Um, and then you've got people who, um, you know, we live in such a distracting world these days that you know they're shopping on either on their phone or their desktop. They put something in their cart, and anything, an email pops up, the doorbell rings, the baby's crying, whatever it is, um, they get distracted and they leave the site. So what you need to do then as a, an online merchant is put processes in place that will just nudge people back uh, to mm-hmm. where they were so that they they do go because it, you know they they probably inevitably did want to purchase that or they did they want to do engage with your brand or they did want to purchase something on the site and if they put something in their cart they're probably very much thinking about going ahead with the sale um, you know it's very different to the uh, to the physical world where, you know, you don't get many people putting, going into the shop, putting stuff in the shopping basket, and then just throwing it down and walking out the door. But um, in, because it's so easy to abandon it when you're in a digital space, it just happens so often. So typically, and most people will probably be aware of this, you have your abandoned cart emails that, that, that get sent out. Um, so that when you abandon us, if you, you have to abandon your cart and you would either have to have signed up to the newsletter prior to that, or you've had to st- started the checkout process um, and you can send an email and typically, and, and again, a lot of online retailers that, that I've had experience with some don't have this in place at all. Um, but typically they would send out one email, you know, an email would go out 24 hours later saying, you know, you left this in your cart. Do you want to come back and buy it? We tend to put more than that in place. We tend to put either two or three emails and you have a first email, a second email, first email a couple of hours after, second email a day after, third email a, a two days after, with the third email having some sort of incentive, like a 10% discount or something like that. Bear in mind that people don't get the second or third email if they've taken action after the first email. Um, so that's one process we have in place. In It's quite difficult here. In uh, It's a little bit easier with email than it is. The likes of SMS, merchants in the States can kind of, uh, you utilize sms a little bit, bit better outside of the gdpr requirements um where you can you can uh, which is hugely powerful where you can if you send oh. in somebody a text message to say you've left this in your cart because um people are more way more inclined to read a, a text message than they are to open an email but that's that's yeah pretty much in terms of abandoned carts it's really the 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 email side of things that kind of brings people in and that can get your 60 to 70% abandonment rate Right down to 50 percent um there's a lot of other reasons why people will abandon a cart when they get to the checkout and they see that the shipping is too expensive they go ah no okay too late and that comes back to how you you inform people at the right point in the process so that they know that there is a shipping cost when they're before they're putting stuff into their cart and that you know they're they're not getting a surprise when they check out so there's all sorts of little things and but i think the best the best rates you'll ever see are going to be f- still going to be fifty percent. Um, you can get it down maybe a little bit under that, but that's that's probably the best most most retailers will have online. Safe to say, there's a lot to
0: the art of getting a uh, really good performing Shopify store up and running. Makes sense as to why you have carved out a nice market to help people with that. Because we've only just touched on card abandonment, and I can already see that you just touched the iceberg on that with how people can reduce the amount of abandoned carts. There's things like email marketing. I know you speak positively, or whoever writes the blogs on your website speaks positively about email marketing being the most reliable, one of the most reliable marketing methods. Um, Does that still play a role to date in helping you attain and retain um, customers? And any tips for people to stand out in the inbox?
1: hugely, in especially very much so in the customer retention side of things and that's again it's one thing that some retailers tend to overlook they concentrate very much on getting people in getting you know where do we spend money on google ads where do we spend money on facebook get people into our site those people go and purchase something and then more often than not they get forgotten about and um, now I know it's these days it's it, it is harder to gather emails for promotional reasons. You do need to get them to opt in for GDPR requirements, um, but if you can, and there's there, you know, it, a lot of people actually do opt in to 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 emails. It's not letting that email list then just sit idle and never mm-hmm. contacted. And I know. Some people will, will send out, they'll go, okay, we have an email list. We've got a thousand people in it. What do we do? Oh, let's send out a campaign and say, we've got a sale on And they'll do that. And then they'll get some money out of it. And then four weeks, six weeks down the line, they go, oh, we have this email list. We better do something again with it. What do we do? One of the marketing um, areas where you'll get most return for your, for your spend, because it might cost money to get them on your list, but once they're on your list, and you can market, to. you're only paying your monthly fee for your, uh, your email software, your autoresponder, or whatever it is that's sending out these campaigns. And you can build in very powerful automated email uh, flows as well, they're called, where, for instance, if somebody purchase from you for the second time the system recognizes that and it, it gives them an extra special thanks saying thank you so much for coming back and and, and spending money with us we, we, we really appreciate you and here's a discount off your third purchase um or you can set it up so that if somebody hasn't come back in six months they it sends them out an email say look we're you know you haven't been back in a while we're still thinking of you here's our latest offers well do you want to have a look and they're all automated and you can build those in and once they're set up they just work on excuse the pun autopilot and um they they they're hugely powerful and also how you can segment audiences these days around e-commerce there's some really powerful tools out there that you can segment people based on what they've bought how much they've spent um and how much time they've spent browsing on a on a particular product for instance and then tailor specific emails to those segments of your audience rather than just sending out a blanket email to every single person on your list which is going to not resonate with potentially 80 to 90% of them might resonate with 10%. um, And that is to answer the second part of your question. How do you get people to open those emails is that you send relative content. You send content that means something to them, not just we're having a 10% sale on this set of products when you know you went and bought this set of products so these set of products are no use to you but we're telling you about a 10 percent sale anyway um then yeah it's it's getting that segmentation correct which is hard from when you're starting off but once you do build up a, a decent size of a list of customer list um you can do it really well and um and then it's you know it's playing around with subject lines and things like that so that you can you can, you can get the open rate but again. know, playing around with subject lines to get a good open rate doesn't necessarily sell the product either. You can get people to open it, but it's getting them to click through and then actually purchase the product. And and that's where the segmentation, I think, comes in really really well.
0: Watching you the last three or four minutes chat there, it's safe to say you're really passionate about what you do. Your hands move uh, and and you talk quite uh, uh, enthusiastically about uh, your business. So as your role as a founder slash CEO, is there anything... About your role or you could say your industry that you disagree with and if so what is it
1: that i disagree with um yeah i
0: mean or uh, let me rephrase like a commonly held belief about your role or industry is what i meant the position it as
1: yeah and well it's it's probably something that i that, that that i touched on that it's it's there's sometimes a commonly held belief by other business owners or Retailers who want to get themselves online that they literally just have to go and hire a developer or, or a freelancer or an agency to say, "Look, we need a website. Here's our products. Uh, how much is it going to cost, and how long is it going to take?" Um, mm-hmm. And we we have a um, with when we when we speak to new clients now we have a, 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 a kind of a, a robust discovery process that we bring them through, um, which involves two to three one-hour calls with the client and all the stakeholders whoever needs to be on that call in the business so we can unravel everything about the business about the product about the customer and we've by doing so we've actually the customers that are the clients that have come to us and said we need we just need a we just need a website how much is it going to cost when we bring them through that process they they thank us for it um, and they say do you know what we actually uncovered a huge amount of stuff that we didn't know about our own business uh, about our own products and we, we've been targeting the wrong audience so now that we've gone through this process and you've put a solution in place we're very much happy to um, you know pay what it is that you suggest that what you think it is going to be because a lot of you a lot of people will just sell a website off the shelf and go there's a website it cost you two grand uh, but mm-hmm. you know it, it ticks the box that we now have a website but it's not going to do what what the, what they want and finding out what that what that company wants and for themselves as well is, is hugely important. So that's, I think one thing, a lot of, probably more so in kind of, I've seen it in smaller and larger businesses. Actually, I don't think it's, I think it's across the board. Uh, a lot of people do know these days that they, they need to go through a process like that, but, but unfortunately some don't.
0: We're coming near the end of our conversation uh, for our American listeners. And I don't know if you've listened to the previous episodes, Patch, but for our American listeners, um, one of my references is high school, and for our British and Irish listeners, I say that because they're our top three audiences. Shout out to Belgium, which is number four, but um, high school and secondary school. If you could add one mandatory subject to the curriculum, what would it be and why? It's a
1: good question. Um, probably um, financial planning. Okay. financial planning and the fundamentals of an of an of investing I don't mean day trading you know but actually taking your money and figuring out what to do with it if I knew what I knew now and I'm 44 so I'm I'm, I'm getting along Um, but if I knew back at 18 what I know now in terms of and I know there's obviously there's financial uh, there's biz org and there's accountancy and I can't remember what the other one is in, in terms of finance for leaving cert but mm-hmm. and I know you do go through you get taught the basics of Simple interest and compound interest, but if it could be really hammered home that if you take, you know, two hundred quid every month of your paycheck and st- stick it into a, a, a decently uh, a, a, an investment fund that will do reasonably well over a long period of time, you know, by the time you retire, you're 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 over a million quid in in, in a pot that you can access. Um, and you know, it's that, and it's hugely difficult when you're young, when you're, when you're in your late teens or your early twenties, you just want to spend every single penny you have from the first job you Mm -hmm. got. Um, and if you could teach some sort of, uh, mindset to invest even a little bit of your, your, your paycheck, uh, into, uh, into a fund that pays seven, 8%, nothing, even nothing even ridiculously crazy, um, that, you know, you would set yourself up. Uh, financially uh, extremely well for even you know not even after retirement into your 40s or 50s you know so I think that would be one subject something I wish I knew back then
0: I'm with you I'm with you solid point and it's 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 a uh, I've had two now once the last two years in a row a financial hour and a half consultation call where they kind of go through where you're at work where you want to go to and work backwards and uh, definitely one of the most valuable ninety minutes I spend annually is on that 90, 90 minute call
1: um absolutely I mean you know there's, there's obviously financial planners out there and I, you know I've spoken to one myself and and but you know but people don't I, I wouldn't have dreamt of speaking to a financial planner when I was in my 20s I was like what what are you talking about you know retirements that's for retirement and that's for when you're in your 60s and that's uh, that's a lifetime away so um it's yeah if, it, if that could be and it's, you know, it's a mindset thing. It's not even, it's having the knowledge, but then also developing a mindset around it. And if that could be taught at a younger age, I think it would be really beneficial.
0: No, you're right. Like even even if you're in your young twenties and you can put in like a hundred euro a month into a something like a dynamic fund that hmm. is giving you back six to 8% a year compared to just a current long-term savings account with, with one of the traditional banks, uh, just the habit that forms in there. Also, you can see the, yeah, the, uh, the way that if you're smart with your money you can actually stretch it anyway yeah. yeah one of the final questions is if your house was on fire all your loved ones are safe but your house is on fire and you can only save one item what would it be
1: another good question um your loved ones are all safe the dog's mm-hmm.
0: safe if you love the dog it's safe
1: <laughs> it's debatable probably now. we'll bring him with us um <laughs> uh yeah no i don't know i don't think i like it's there's a, there's a there's a couple of toys my kids are really attached to right now so i could probably grab one of those um but personally you know everything is everything's digital now isn't it you know it's yep maybe even the you know i think our wedding photos were all you know printed out from digital so they could be replaced um yeah there's probably that's a good sign it's a good on. sign patrick if there's if there's nothing you can think of that's a good sign one of the kids one of the kids toys
0: um, how do you continue to learn and invest in yourself? Are there books, uh, podcasts, channels, maybe YouTube channels or Vimeo channels that you watch, or conferences that you attend, coaches that you uh, engage with?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, one of well, I guess if one of the biggest boosts for me was I actually joined a, a mentorship group in uh, that's based out of the out of the US, but they have members. Um, A couple of members in Ireland, few in the UK, the majority are in the US. It's a a community of, um, I'm gonna get this wrong now, but probably about a couple of hundreds. Um, And it's it's ongoing training, ongoing mentorship and and access to a community of of digital agency owners. Um, And to condense that down, I I guess if anybody was looking to scale their own business um, or themselves, uh, getting a mentor, um, I think is, is hugely beneficial. I think you can scale a business um, or you can grow a business um, without it but getting somebody like a mentor it will just accelerate it it will happen a lot faster um like i i, I have two full-time employees right now and uh, six months ago it was just me um, and that took a 12, 12 months of being in that community being in that group to kind of to really figure out and go okay now I'm in, and i never thought i'd make a full-time hire and i did that in, February and then I was like well now I'm making another one and we just made one there last month um so yeah it's 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 probably getting into some sort of mentorship or mastermind group or something in your industry to accelerate your 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 process and accelerate your ability to scale um I'm not a big I I I do like reading uh I'm not a big fiction reader I do like reading uh fact books and and ones around business and scaling but I find it hard to uh take one and start, like, read it from start to finish. So I've I've actually started using Blinkist. I don't know if you've ever seen that app. It's, yes, I have it on my phone. I find it brilliant. It, it just condenses entire books into... Uh, chunks of of, of 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 content that you can read in about ten or fifteen minutes. You you're obviously probably missing out a huge amount from the book, but it really does condense and distill down some some really worthwhile books. And so I just I just I read a lot of that, um, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of stuff in that. But but yeah, so that would be probably the two things: is 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 reading, especially whatever's around in in your um, in your industry, and and kind of trying to find some sort of mentor as well is is huge. I think.
0: I'm going to leave links to DigiFly's website below. There's a number of uh, case studies and there's uh, a blog that I thoroughly enjoyed reading as well. You can check out other companies that you guys have worked with uh, and obviously your LinkedIn as well. Um, if there's anything else you can let me know offline and I'll leave links in below. But for today, it's been incredibly... Uh, uh, I've enjoyed my time a lot chatting with you, Patrick. It's really cool that you got not only a, a pilot for British Airways, but you're building this business that... You're managing to hire people and uh, continue to scale it at the same time so um kudos to you for for what you do uh, uh be great to have you back on as you continue to grow a year from now to see where you are and what other changes are in the market. Because so i know that e-commerce is a uh, market that changes rapidly but for today thanks for being my guest patrick brilliant thank you absolute pleasure
1: you're the in my morning bed.